back to another episode of a cool thought podcast how y'all feeling today it is uh monday Mm -hmm. it's hella gloomy outside thank god it's still no snow i appreciate that because i've been out here um on a bike riding around the city of chicago enjoying all of that you know i hope y'all uh getting your christmas shopping in early around this time it's time to get you a christmas tree no fake christmas trees in the house nothing plastic you got to get the real evergreen feel to it you know sweep up the pines every day it's worth it get the house smelling like a holiday like that's the the best time this is the best time of the year for that like i enjoy the christmas trees uh in the house but um uh today i got matthew back on here you know we gonna talk today about some shit I don't really know just yet, but um, <laughs> we're going to make this work. Uh, we um getting back. No, getting back to, uh, I feel like I've talked about Gumbo Fit a lot on here in the first few episodes, but it's definitely, definitely been a major part. Like, honestly, uh, man, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to say this without sounding like I'm, uh. I don't know. Like, it's given doing like doing this podcast. Like it having that moment because I stopped recording for a little while, but having that time with everybody and running this marathon and training mm-hmm. has like just had me laser focused in on this grinding and this podcast. And mm-hmm. uh, this episode was and possibly is still going to be about. Uh, mental health mm-hmm. and whatnot, but um, being around so many people, if you just take the training and the athletic side of it, being around so many people that are fighting to carve their place in this world, you know, I grew up, um, and I think me and you talked about this on a previous episode, you know, growing up in families where, uh, mentality is get a job and work and pay these bills and stuff like that because the idea of risking it all for uh, personal goals is is scary scary Mm -hmm. to our parents scary and unheard of to the um generations before them and stuff like that and so being around so many people in such close proximity because i've been around the creatives but um, the ones who are actually doing something and being successful and actually having a plan, they were always like once removed, you know, um, always ended up around people who was kind of just uh, like kind of faking at it mm. and whatnot. But actually, at this point in my life, being around a group of people that are actually doing it, mm-hmm. doing it in a intelligent way and uh, uh, intentional way. Right. 
it's man, it's crazy motivational, bro. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy motivational. I feel it too. Um, uh, one of the things, uh, I don't the uh, the writing on Medium. You yeah. know, um, you are talking a lot about mental health through your writing. Yeah. On there, uh, how are you adding writing as a hat on top of the other twelve things you do it right there? I feel like it's almost the opposite. I feel like the 12 things I'm doing, and 12 is exaggerating for sure, uh, <laughs> but whatever it is that I'm doing, I feel like is an add on to writing. Cause I feel like writing is like the purest form of expression for me. Mm. Um, when I was, let's see, I think 18, no, I was 19. Yeah, I was 19, it was on my birthday. Mm. Um, freshman year at DePaul University in Chicago I think it was a Wednesday, something like that. And no, it was a Thursday because I had it was in my Thursday night lecture. I had a lecture class from it was like philosophy 101 or something like that from 6 to 9 p.m. And it was my birthday. And um, some kid approached me um, in class and just asked me, I don't even remember what he asked, to be honest, but he asked me some, all sorts of like ignorant questions about what I was gonna about to do for my birthday. And uh, it probably wasn't even that ignorant. I just needed something to you know, take it out on. And I was so like heated and it was clear that there was like some internal conflict that I had. And this was the same, this was like just a couple months. This would have been October, yeah, October 8th. So this would have been a couple months after I went to Ghana for the first time, um, had like a life-changing experience after struggling with, after finally coming to terms with my mental health earlier in the year. Um, you know, I'd been hospitalized eight times my senior year between my birthday the year before and, and June, uh, June 15th, which is graduation uh, of 2009. Uh, and I'd been hospitalized eight times because I had all these like chronic stomach pains. I was tested for everything from gallstones, kidney stones, physically. ulcers, all that type of stuff. They ran every test under the sun. And then uh, and they said, we can't find anything, you know, and they said, wow. we have one last round of tests. And those tests are, um, they're all like the x-rays and stuff. But if you do that, I mean, you're, you're, um, uh, you are putting your body through a lot of uh, trauma um, and it's gonna weaken your immune system uh, for the next several years. And my mom was like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. And they said, have you considered that this might be you know, psychological, this might be emotional? And that's when I kind of came to terms with the fact that I'd been depressed for like a decade. And so this was senior year of high school. And then I graduated and I went to Ghana and it was the first time I felt any kind of relief. And so I say all of that because once I got to um, freshman year at DePaul, I was dealing with a lot of things because I'd had this amazing, uh, it wasn't even a trip, I'd had this amazing home away from home, mm. um, away from all the burdens and pressures of home too. So, right, right. Uh, like my, my depression, I felt it as like a, I literally felt it as knots in my stomach. Like it mm. was painful, I keeled over, like it was, it was the most painful thing I felt to this day. Uh, but it was all emotionally charged. In Ghana, it all disappeared. Yeah, uh, and like anybody that struggled through mental health issues, you know it's not an on and off switch. Like, there's no easy fix, there's no easy solution, and it's not something that really ever necessarily goes away. No, um, at least if you've you know had like chronic depression. Um, and but in that instance, uh, it was something that even though the depression didn't go away, the pains associated with it did because I was just in such a state of bliss and I was so detached for the first time ever from all the pressures of family, you know, having two younger sisters, basically being the father figure, being the support for my mom, emotionally, physically, all this type of stuff. Of course. Uh, my father just had cancer, like the year before, stage four bladder cancer. So dealing with that while not really 
like vibing with my dad, you know, and like yeah. dealing with his mortality at the same time. He ended up being all right. But like there was a lot that I was dealing with. And so by the time I got to DePaul, I was thinking through all of that. I was mm. thinking through uh, all of the things that I'd been through finally coming like about, you know, six months now coming to terms with this thing called depression while also recognizing that, you know, uh, having spent the summer away with kids who had significantly less than I did. You know, I was right. very well at what was me at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a in, in a pretty selfish way, like the I was I was very selfless in, in my I loved giving to people. I love creating spaces for people. But I always talked about my issues, you know, right. uh, in a way that I haven't at all, really, in the last several years. Um, and in that way, I kind of centered the world around myself. Mm. Um, and so coming face to face with that, too, by seeing kids two, three, four years old who have nothing compared to what I have. And yet here I am depressed about the many things that I have, you know, so right, it's, right. it's that feeling like and I I'm should sure be happy, but I'm not. the best out of it. They right. smile and they being right. children. Exactly. But again, it's not an on and off switch. So mm-hmm. now I should now I know that I should be happy, but I'm still not happy. Right. And that's an even worse exactly. sense of depression. So that's all that I was feeling. So when this kid just said some like some ignorant shit, I just got I got heated and like I, I felt like I needed to write. And I had one I remember I had one um, therapy session. I think his name is Dr. Sullivan. <laughs> uh, and I remember like he had me lay down on the ground and he had me go perfectly still. It was essentially meditation. And he was like, if you get still enough, you can literally feel the air you know, across the hairs on your arms and stuff like that. And it was the first time I'd gone that still. And so I remember he told me at the end of it, you need an outlet, you know. Um, you got a place to put all of that. Yeah, like I wrote in one of the pieces that you referred to on Medium, um, there was a guy I talked to, his name is Carl White from Hope for the Day, a mental health organization here in Chicago. And he says that uh, mental health and trauma is like uh, a can of pop, a can of soda. Like if, if you don't, or a bottle, whatever language mm-hmm. you want to use, but if you don't find a release valve, it's going to continue to shake. And right. the shake is going to build up pressure, and eventually that thing is going to blow. Either mm-hmm. internally, it's going to implode, or it's going to explode. And it's going to harm either themselves or everybody else around them. And so you need a release valve. And writing, for me, became my release valve. So that night after class, I went home, and I was supposed to do homework. I usually try to do all my homework before the weekend so I could just like breathe over the weekend. Uh, I just wrote for hours. I stayed up till probably two or three in the morning, just writing, writing, writing. Before I knew it, I looked down and I had, this is uh, in my um, my laptop at the time, I had like 20 pages worth of writing. And well, this it, was just all just... Just reflection. It just was just like, I was just letting it thought. go. Yeah. And what's crazy is, and this is the first time I remember feeling this way, everything I wrote was exactly what I knew I felt, but had no words to articulate. Mm. Or actually even... I would take it even deeper. It wasn't even what I, when I read it, I knew that I had felt it, but I had no recognition that that was actually what I was feeling. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. No, like I, it only made sense once I read it back to myself. Definitely. And so it was kind of an out of body experience in that way. And since then I literally have not stopped writing. It's been, it started as a form of therapy and now it's become kind of the most intimate part of who I am uh, and my form of expression. And now it's become my career. It's what I commit my life to alongside the things you mentioned in terms of like gumbo, you know, doing entrepreneurial stuff, doing brand consulting, whatever else. Writing is writing is my therapy, it's my meditation, it's all of that. Right. Uh, but it's also just my form of expression, you know. No, that's smooth, that's smooth. Uh, man, definitely you kind of, uh, I kind of tensed up when you was talking about, you know, the pain and the, uh, like, the physical ramifications of stress. I know yeah. uh, um, I learned through my mother 
that uh, stress affects your sleep and yeah. stuff like that. That's yeah. anything that um, anything physical that comes from stress. Um, it starts to affect your body overnight. Mm. You know what I'm saying? That's when stress really does is have it while you're sleeping and stuff like that. So, of course, kills your quality of sleep, which kills your immune system. And then you got all these internal things. Like, person, like right now, I have my hair grown out. That's because I'm like, I've lost hair mm-hmm. due to stress and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. You know, uh, and trying to figure out a way to, you know, grow it back because I kind of want my low cut back. But <laughs> I got like patches that's gone mm-hmm. just from from anxiety. Yeah. And stress and stuff like that. And yeah, uh, um it's it's interesting because in uh in a in our community, in the black community, even though um the stereotype is our most of our homes are fatherless, right? Um, they're missing a man in the house when no, not necessarily. If if the woman has a son, there is a man in the house. It's a half developed man. It's a man who has responsibilities that he didn't sign up for. Nobody has even told him that these are the responsibilities you're going to have. Like, like you don't even realize that you had them until after you probably didn't left the house mm-hmm. a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, definitely growing up being the emotional support system for my mother. My mother, a uh, Chicago police officer. So, you know, she came home with the world on her shoulders and stuff right. like that from things that she had seen, things she had been a part of, and maybe even things she had done herself. Mm. You know, she come home, dump all of that on me. You know, I done heard unnecessary kind of stories at an unnecessary young age, you know, and then having to understand that that's what my mom's going through. Uh, you know, I can only imagine that being a burden in itself, you know, and then yeah. leaving the crib and having to leave your mother to, you know, deal with that on your own. And stuff like that, but um, man, I got lost in that in that part of your story because it's uh, it's real for me. Running definitely became the outlet. Yeah, I started running, training for the marathon because I just needed like a W. I just wanted to, because I just had a series of incomplete objectives, things that I was starting and not finishing. I right. wanted to do something and finish it, mm-hmm. but it easily became a, a, a outlet for me, especially um, this year, you know, um, like after I had, uh, so I had my second son, mm-hmm. August and stuff like that. Um, he's two now, turned two, what, September. Before he was born, you know, I was just on, I was being really selfish. I was just on this whole, like, I'm not working you know, kind of similar thing to what I'm doing right now, but in it from coming from a different place. Right. You know, and uh, I was just like, you know, if I got to struggle a little bit, I'm gonna struggle. It's just me and my my son and stuff like that. You know, making sure he had what he needed, but outside of needs, desires, like nah, we we can we can deal with a little bit of lack for a little while, so I could build this lifestyle that I want to live. But then of course I had another son, so I was like, my I got cold feet got nervous so I instantly started to go back to get jobs working nine to fives and stuff like that uh Nike was fun as hell mm-hmm. uh but uh still in the back of my mind I hated getting up and going to work yep well I ended up with this really good job at the railroad I was making some good money bro mm-hmm. it was some beautiful money but that was hands down the worst job I've ever had isolation in the truck and you know me like I I gotta be around people yeah uh, communicating, yeah. making them laugh, yeah. doing all of that, right? Yeah. 
I did that for like six, seven months, bro. And then one day, I think it was after one of our long runs, I just called them and I was like, yo, do I if I quit, do I need to come in and do any paperwork? Dude put me on hold, got back on, was like, nah, you good. Are you really quitting? I'm like, yeah, I ain't even coming in no more. And I, I didn't. I was like, I'm done with that. Yeah. Uh, ended up going to work at this uh, dealership. That was cool, but they kind of lied to me about the money. So I was like, fuck that shit. I'm not doing this stuff no more Yeah, and stuff like that. But through the entire process, man, having those days where I could go and I could run, even if I was running alone, like that has been my outlet, that physical exertion. Mm-hmm. I haven't been running too much this month. But uh, the last couple of days, I just started biking and stuff like that. I'm um, trying to get the feel for it. I borrowed one of my boys' bikes. And I ain't, like, I've been out on the street, like, 12 hours a day right. on the bike, you yeah. know, just moving through the city, making moves, doing different things, making some money here and there. <sighs> I mean, it makes could, me feel amazing, bro. I can imagine. You could see it when in your eyes, like, when Man. you were running. You know, like, you were focused. You were, you know, you were, especially on those long runs, like you, for you, it was, it was, it almost looked and felt like it was spiritual in a way, like, because it was a, I mean, I think we're all creatures of habit, but like you had certain things that needed to go certain ways in order for those long runs to, like, it needed to be a certain time. You wanted to leave it, you know, and I know that part of that was work, but part of that was also just like, nah, I'm, I'm trying to get this in. I'm trying to do this right. Yeah. And, you know, you could feel that, you could see that. And I love that. I mean, you know, um. We did a lot of training together, actually, like nearby each other, yeah. at least towards the end when when our schedule started shifting a little bit. But for the first like two thirds, I feel like we were, uh, you, me and Carly were yeah. pretty equal pace, at least for the first half. And then we'd start splintering a little bit. But yeah. um, so, I mean, I appreciate that consistency because that helped me out a lot for sure. Listen, bro, I ain't know you was fast, G. I'm gonna tell you. I, the you thing is, me, I didn't know I was. You fast. had me full, and I wasn't for the fast first, in the marathon. That's the problem. I you need to had correct me that, full but. for the first half of the training, bro. You had me full, man. Now all of a sudden, I was just like, well, what I didn't realize about training, and this is kind of a tangent, but what I didn't realize because I I'd never properly trained to run before. I'd never properly right. really run before. I'd run the marathon once, but it was just like it just kind of like everybody was talking about it on you know on the gang gang episode. Um, it was just. Everybody's first was just kind of like nobody trained. Everybody just kind of did it. They didn't know what they were doing. It was the same for me, and I was completely in isolation at the time. Um, I mean, I was with Courtney, but she was away in, uh, I think, the Galapagos or something like that, uh, uh-huh. like enjoying life. And, I, and I'm running a marathon in Chicago. Um, and um, it was it was intense, and I didn't do it properly. So I had no idea when it came to training, and we were doing this week to week, that there would come a time where – I thought the the speed would just get uh, like this whatever pace we chose. I think when we started training, we were running like 10, 10 minute miles, and I think we were like, "Oh, that feels good because right. it's slow." Um, and then eventually, at least slow for our pace, and then eventually we kind of fell into it, and it felt right because right. you know once you run longer, you get tired, whatever. What I didn't realize was that that would eventually start feeling slow for me. Right. Right. Like I I expected it to start feeling easy. But it came a time where I was just like, I feel physically uncomfortable if I'm running under a certain pace, mm-hmm. unless it's like a recovery run where my legs are clearly exhausted. I cannot do right? ten minute recovery runs. Right, exactly. I cannot yeah, do it. it. Has it's 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 harder. Right. To run a, a ten minute mile. Yep. At this point. Yep. Exactly. And so it got it got tough to the point where. Uh, eventually, I was like, I need to, because I was running like halfway, especially when we were running like 16, 17, mm-hmm. 19, 20 miles, and we were like 
all the way down on the north side. Right. Um, and starting to have to turn back, you know, um, or at least down by downtown and have to right. turn back, which is what, like 14, something like that. Um, I realized I had a lot left to give, and I was like, let me just see what I can do. So I just kicked you it into another gear. It, bro. And I started just chipping away like minutes, like whole minutes. Oh, you started um, giving it. You had so, some But kick. now I got to keep it. I, I think for me, I get anxious and I get nervous. Um, and uh, during the marathon, I don't know why. I think it's just an internal thing. Mm. Um, and so the two times I've run it, I've gotten sick. Right. Uh, the first time was uh, wasn't as bad, um, but I just wasn't properly trained. The second time I was really properly trained, and it, enough to break like three fifty. You yeah. know, and I was on track for that through probably fifteen, sixteen miles, and then just then it just went all we downhill. The same place, so man. yeah, it was crazy, man. Um, but yeah, I, I feel you. It's a it's an important thing. I think anything that you can do that brings stability, that brings um, kind of consistency and that is a viable like outlet for you that feels like a release mm -hmm. valve is is something you should do more of at whatever level of consistency you can even if it's not like every week or whatever as often as you can and I think you know when it comes to like mental health one thing I I learned later on um, was which I didn't understand right away for me it was um, it was, uh, I kind of expected there to be larger things. I always thought like, okay, if, if you're depressed, if you were struggling with mental health, if you need, you know, if you need a W, like you're talking about, you, you got to make some sweeping life change. Sometimes there are things like, I got to quit this job because it's toxic for me. You know, sometimes right. there are big things. But a lot of times it's about small shifts mm -hmm. and kind of trial and error things um, that bring you small moments of joy. Mm -hmm. And eventually those small moments it's kind of fake it till you make it to be honest like right. every morning you wake up you do everything you can to just bring as much joy into your life that day and then eventually you'll wake up and you'll be genuinely happy yeah and you won't even know when exactly it switched but right. it was along that process of just seeking those small moments those small w's those small victories and sometimes the larger ones along the mm -hmm. way if you can identify them but yeah, I, I used to uh for me like at, at, for me I've, i'm learning it has to be like a physical exertion yeah um That's because what? i used to use sex to like get okay. all the Beans. I thought it kind of stopped a little bit. We're gonna pick back up, but I was saying that uh, um, use the sex to for you know what I'm saying stress. I used to use that shit for a cold. If I, I for some reason I would believe that if I was sick, orange juice, sex, 24 hours, I'm good. That shit was like my chicken noodle soup. But uh, um, since starting to like for real. Uh, get active and stuff like that trying to lose weight trying to get to 185 mm -hmm. which is the most elusive shit in my life right now has been like man i mean sex is cool but it don't like exhaust you it gives you like some endorphins for a little bit but i feel clear after i run i feel clear after riding a bike i feel clear after lifting weights and stuff like that right and uh I didn't find that when I was writing and stuff like that because mm -hmm. uh, for a little while, like I, every so once in a while I do some poetry and stuff like that. For a yeah. little while I thought I was going to be like a little rapper uh, just because I was trying to be spiteful to some people. It wasn't my dream. I just want to mm -hmm. show motherfuckers like, no, you didn't want to listen to me, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to show you right. how it was done and stuff like that. But uh, it was fun while I was doing it, but it didn't do for me what I see it do for other people who truly love that shit. It's a, it's a, it's a very like, 
writing is a hard thing to love because you can't help it when you do, mm-hmm. but it's it's painful too. Like the the thing that I need to be careful about is, I mean, I talked, I refer to writing as kind of like my therapy and my meditation, and it is. Right. And I feel every time I write, I feel at least every time I write for real. Like I sit down, you know, I brew some tea. Like I'm I'm ready to dive in, uh, which I usually do early in the morning and like late at night when everything else is quiet, mm-hmm. no distractions. Um, it is very therapeutic in many ways, um, but. I need to be careful of a couple of things. One, that the writing, at least the writing that I'm sharing, isn't too therapeutic because nobody just wants to read my diary entries, right? People <laughs> want to read stories that impact them, not just that complain about my stuff. So I write to get that stuff out and then try to make it plain for the rest of the world. Right. So that's one. But two, um, writing isn't always, it, it's a release in the sense that I there's things that I need to, there's things that I'm feeling that I need to get out. Even if mm-hmm. I'm writing like making up characters, like I'm finding ways to express those things through other creative means. Right. But it also, writing is kind of like a purge. Like you dive deeper and deeper and deeper into yourself. So mm-hmm. it's not, it's not, it's not a release in the sense that like, I'm like when I play basketball, that's different. When I play basketball, physical exertion or even running, like you said, uh, it's a different type of release because I'm literally releasing myself from whatever it is that I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I'm writing, I'm diving deeper into it. Right. So writing is a way through it. Uh, and um, and I feel like it, it's not necessarily like a coping mechanism. It's like it's a piercing mechanism. Whereas right. like physical exertion, like basketball, running, those things are more of a coping. Like I, I run and I feel great puts my mind on other things. I'm able to think through things while I run. I can work my way through some things, certainly, but writing, like, you have to search your way through it. And that can be dangerous, too, because, um, like, I get addicted to it. Like, I, if I write too much, I mean, Courtney will tell you, if I write too much, um, I'll, be in a, I'll be in a mood, like, for, you know. And when I say mood, I'll just be, like, quiet because I'm so reflective. I'm in such a, like, contemplative state of mind. That's interesting. You got to pull yourself up out of yeah, it. Yeah, I got to pull myself up out of it. And sometimes I have to write more to put myself up and just write something different but it's just like i put myself in a place where i'm like i'm sitting with all my thoughts you know and all my darkness and like a lot of writers i think who at least write like from an essayist perspective write from their own life and their own experiences Mm -hmm. or write from a similar place as i do um i feel like a a lot of writers would attest to that that's uh you know um state of mind when it comes to writing that's interesting hmm that's interesting to think about because I, I definitely feel like, huh? I mean, because read... the way you're saying it kind of makes it seem like you're using writing as a mirror, and you're oh for sure dealing with the things that you're going through. You're working them out through that, versus me listening to myself and talking about how sex or like running or like just physical exertion yeah. has been a way for me to escape it. Right. It's not escapism. It's so, yeah. So I have a lot of different ways to escape it, but eventually, eventually it catches up and you You have have to come right back to it and stuff like that. That's interesting. Yeah. Trying to, uh, I never thought about it like that. I just felt like, all right, I'm just getting it up all for me. Well, and that's why I appreciate when people read anything I have to say. Uh Um, cause I'm not necessarily writing it for them. I'm writing it for myself. I think any writer who shares a writing and says that they're not writing for other people is lying somewhat. I think we all want people to read yeah. and appreciate what we have to say. Um, but I'm not writing because I care what other people think, to be mm-hmm. clear. Like, I'm writing because I needed it for myself, and I, I it, this is my form of expression. Um, but there definitely is, uh, 
there is a level, there is a part of me that is very grateful when people take the time to read my work and engage with it in a real way because, because of the fact that it took a lot of me to get that stuff out. Like, I had to sit down and I had to, like, in the piece that you were talking about in terms of um, uh, toxic masculinity and, like, uh, this encounter I had with, with this woman in Minneapolis and um, where she was kind of in trouble and um, mm. I intervened and, and all that type of stuff. I was trying to help out, but in just purging all that, I had to think through my relationship with my father. I had to think through the generational burdens I'd picked up right where yeah. he left off. You know, I had to think about um, Yo, the many times I didn't step in and like that was crazy. standard, you know, syndrome is real. I picked up on some stuff in, in here and uh, I'm going to mention it. Let me know if you don't feel comfortable. No, go for it. But, uh, um, you kind of hinted. So the girl's name was, uh, can I say her name? I can say her name because yeah. you published it. Her name was Mary, which mm-hmm. is the same as your mom. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, the which situation. Crazy. crazy. Yeah. Crazy, crazy still. But it, then there's like, it's like inception. There was another layer because uh, your mother was going, went through an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. And obviously, then by the end of the story, you realize that she was going through a very abusive situation in that moment Mm -hmm. and things like that and it just kind of like took me back because of the way you connected that with uh, your relationship with your father Mm -hmm. uh your support system with your mother and stuff like that like just the way the universe god whatever you choose to believe in just put that in front of you to see it um from a distance versus just being in with your mom and dad you in the middle you're dealing with it and sometimes being so close to the situation, you don't know what to do with it. Right. But being able to see a similar situation from a distance, like that had to have been just like crazy. The moment she said her name, like Yeah, it was how crazy. Did that, how did that what did that do for you? Um, I mean the moment she said her name, I knew it was like it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um because it was just too much like too many kind of serendipitous things happening. Um and I was I was look I was literally looking for answers, you know, like I was asking for answers, um, and I hadn't really gotten any, and I didn't even know what I was asking for answers for, you know. It's right. just like I don't know what the questions is that questions are that I'm trying to solve, but like I know I have questions about about life. I was feeling I'd worked my way through college through depression, um, and after some kind of scary um, situations, and I'd I'd worked my way through that. I'd like really changed my entire life, changed my entire demeanor, changed who I was as a person. Uh, I've always been like very quiet. I've always been very reserved. I've always been, you know, I, I, I'd like to think like a kind, you know, right. compassionate well, human being. So it's not like I changed that. Like I was never like, like a jerk or something. Like I that, think but, honestly, but I, I feel like uh, a good amount of people who are going through depression, mask it, mask it with a certain level of being an extrovert uh yeah i would say so i would say so uh i mean i think there's depression is inherently introverted um just because of it's all it's the stuff you're dealing with inside but i do think people do definitely try to mask it some people i wouldn't say yeah it's definitely some i did a little bit of both like i need i masked it in the sense that like i would find ways to communicate with others um and like to just pretend basically just 
act like nothing was wrong, right? But really, I was struggling a lot. But there were times where I isolated myself, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think one of the painful, painful things about depression is, at least for some people, uh, I can't speak for everybody, I can speak for myself. In my experience, what depression did for me was it basically turned me against myself, like very convincingly. Like it, it's like a different personality. It's a different character that lives inside of you, like a different voice almost. And it would almost pit it, pin me, pin myself, have me pin myself in the corner and say, this corner is all you deserve. Like mm. none of these people around you, um, I don't even know if it's like really care um, cause I, I don't, I don't think that's ever what I felt. I, I, I think I knew I was loved. I just don't feel like I ever felt like I was worthy of love. That's interesting. Right. Like, so it puts you in a corner. It kind of pits you against yourself. It builds kind of a you against the world mentality. Um, mm -hmm. and then makes you feel, and then makes you revel in feeling that way to the point where any little positive moment of joy that came into my life. I would push away because I'd gotten so comfortable with like fear and with anger and with pain that uh, that had become my home, that had become my comfort place. That's interesting. So anything that was happy was uncomfortable for me. Mm. I didn't know how to deal with that. I didn't, I didn't like accepting that. All, I, all I'm comfortable with is, is, you know, pain, is darkness. Um, that's interesting. And so I would push away positive things. And that's, again, that's how it, you like, you pitch yourself in a corner and then you keep yourself there because that's all you feel like you're worthy of. And that's what depression does. At least that's what it did for me. And so I was there for a long time before I could have the, before I could start writing and like you said, okay. holding a mirror to myself and actually have somebody to talk to. And I was talking to myself. And so, I mean, the thing you mentioned about Mary in terms of like, that must have been weird. It was, it was weird to hear that. Mm -hmm. But all those lessons that you mentioned, I didn't, I didn't, maybe I, in deep down I felt them, but I didn't know, I, I didn't know how to process my way through those things until I wrote about it years later. Right. So I didn't, none of those lessons were clear to me until I really sat down and said, okay, what, why is this experience so important to me? Because I felt like it was important, but I, I couldn't tell you why, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and that's why I love writing it, it, or really any form of expression, music, art, like those are the ways through, you know, figuring out what it is that you feel right um, people really need to read the story because it's probably gonna be cryptic as hell otherwise yeah um, <laughs> definitely so, oh so yeah actually tell them where they could go find your story at yeah so um i do some writing right now i'm publishing all my writing on medium uh, medium.com and then if you search for my name it's matthew r manning two t's and matthew two n's and manning um you'll find it and i try to write my writing brand if you will is very like um, it's essentially what you said. I is I try to be a mirror, um, mostly for myself, but then put it up for others to be able to invite others to view themselves and find pieces of themselves or truths through their lives in whatever way they feel is relevant, based on mm -hmm. what is being written, without telling people what to think or what to feel. Uh, there's too many like 13 reasons why you should do this, 26 reasons why you are this way. Um, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but I don't, I'm not, I don't want to be in the habit of telling people about themselves, right? I just right. want to be as honest as I can be with myself. That's the yeah. only obligation I feel like I have. And then inviting others to engage in conversation through writing right. and through expression. And then if we learn something of ourselves and of each other through that engagement, cool. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm learning in this moment right now, because even the way that you saying um, the depression manifested in you, uh, for me, it, 
I want to say it's a little different and whatnot. For sure. Uh, I used I coined the term I I coined the term like just blue days. Mm-hmm. I have days I have periods where just the world feels like really really heavy. Yeah, and I can't get it up off of me. Right, you know those days I kind of just don't want to. And I mean I'm telling you it. It's it's not because there is a moment between being depressed and being sad. Uh, uh, sad is more. There's usually a trigger. You know it's usually momentary. Uh, you can come out of it at some point and stuff right. like that. That's what my understanding of sadness is, right? But there's no trigger to my blue days. Some days, you know, you just wake up and the colors are dull. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Where it can be bright as hell outside, just everything just seems like really blah. Food is blah. Everything is just blah mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, I've never really had that voice in my head um, similar to yours. Mm-hmm. You know, my voice always tells me, like, if you want to jump off that cliff, jump. You know, my right. I have there's not a whole lot of of uh of uh I can't think of the proper term, but there there's nobody in my mind telling me to slow down. Everything is telling me to keep pushing, keep going forward and stuff like that. Uh but you know, in those days of course that that whatever that is inside of me would be a lot harder to hear. Right. And stuff like that. Um but you know, when I was in high school it was, I actually dropped out of high school for mm-hmm. like a year, mm-hmm. you know, um, because of this. And uh, I graduated late and then I went to college and stuff like that. But for me, those days, and sometimes it could last a whole week where I just, I would not be able to get out of bed. Now I have more control over it, I feel like. Um, I have more control over myself uh, emotionally because I've, I've claimed it and I've understood what it is. So I know I've taken the time to understand when it's coming and stuff. Cause it's kind of like a wave, you know, you can kind of see the waters uh, retreat before the wave comes crashing back onto right. the shoreline and stuff like that. And I kind of prepare myself for it a little bit better and I hide it better as well. Uh, one of the, one of, I guess one of my places I go to escape is, uh, is um, uh, group gatherings, you mm. know, like I, I've always, even when I was a shorty before all of this complicated shit got mm-hmm. into y'all lives, like, you know, I love entertaining people, love making people laugh, love having fun. I'm, I'm Aries. I love being the center of attention, all mm-hmm. of that. And so, you know, a lot of the times, not 100% of the times, but sometimes, like, that shit is medicinal. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If I come in the room, make everybody laugh, take the the whatever's going on to the next level and stuff like that. Man, that's like that's like a shot of some good drugs for me. Like I feel amazing. Yeah. Have you heard the way Jim that. Carrey talks about depression? Nah. Jim Carrey is a really brilliant mind. Um, he says a lot of dope things about a lot of things, and he's just really honest to the point where a lot of people have been calling him crazy over the last several years. But it's like, no, he's just living his purest self. You know, right. he's not playing characters anymore because he's played characters his whole life. Like his whole comedic act as Jim Carrey was a character mm-hmm. to please other people. And he said, uh, when I hear, when I think of depression, he, he referred to it similar as you did in terms of like sadness or unhappiness versus depression. He thinks of deep rest. Your body is calling for deep rest. You know, mm. your mind is calling for deep rest. And your, your, your being, yourself, is um, kind of tired of playing a role. Right. Um, and just needs, needs rest, needs to be its kind of pure self for a while. Uh, and that's a really 
that for me, that's been a really refreshing and kind of powerful way to look at it. Whether it's very explicit, like you don't have a character in your voice, or whether it is, you know, some kind of character in there, uh, like what I had. Um, I think it's. I think that way of looking at it is really powerful. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to play all these games. I don't want to deal with all this. I don't want to think about how I present myself here. That I just want to be. You know. Right. Um, and that's that's that rest. That's like Definitely. tapping out of all of the, like the expectations, all of the whatever, and just being. That's present, that's kind of like how know? I view my my professional life right now. Right. Like it, all of these jobs. That's those are characters. Yep. That I'm exactly. playing. It's exactly. not me yeah. it's not where i want to be it's not who i am asking somebody for a day off or do this yeah. like and think of how many people you know that are on that hamster wheel every single day like man. there's no wonder why we're so depressed in america it's i i just you know yeah, everybody's I, playing i've characters. done it for the last i've been working since i was like 16 years old 17 years old yeah, yeah 17 so i've been doing it for the last what 14 years now yeah. i could not imagine working the way i've been working for the next 20 30 years so at this point yeah. what retirement age is like 70 right probably be 80 by the time we get there yeah i mean here's i'm, here's, I'm 30 bro like yeah, that's another 50 you. years yeah, that's half a century yeah i cannot i can i cannot do it let me ask you this man yeah. how do you feel about uh um a lot of people feel like uh weed is not necessarily addictive right mm -hmm. um I feel like it, it, there's a way to abuse it, but it's not necessarily addictive, right? How do you feel like people using that to battle their depression? Because, you know, um, alcohol, that shit dangerous. That's, that oh, that doesn't help sure. do anything. But, like, we, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't have a whole lot of negative. You don't have a whole lot of negative. Outside of being just lazy and unproductive, right. you, you don't, you don't want to jump up and beat your woman or uh, or sexually assault somebody after, or just making like some really aggressive, dumb choice after smoking. Like it doesn't change who you are. Right. Um, I mean, I don't smoke, and I never have, so I, I I'm not probably the best person to ask. To be honest, okay. I don't have a problem with it. I just have never done it. Um, what I what I will say is this though: whether it's weed or anything else, like uh, for a lot of people, weed alleviates a lot of things like it's it's almost like an antidepressant in the sense that it like it literally takes a weight off your shoulder and lightens you a little bit so that you can think so that you can breathe um and but whether you're taking antidepressants whether you're you know you're smoking whatever it is that you're doing at some point you're still gonna have to work your way through whatever it is that you're feeling right um so it handles the physical it handles the physical anything for your mental uh, well, it could it could help the mental because I mean that alleviation is a lot. Like, okay. just feeling lighter enough to be able to have a conversation, to be able to think clearly, to be able to think about anything beyond what weighs you down. I think it's important. Like taking um, a water break on a long run. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's like it's a it's a catalyst that allows you or a tool that can allow you to get to that next level. But at at the end of the day, no matter what it is that is your remedy, even physical exertion. Um, even with physical exertion, uh, no matter what it is at the end of the day, you're going to need something to uh, be able to have that real conversation and to actually work your way through the things that might be making you depressed, you know. Um, and that's not to say that there's al there always has to be something. You mm -hmm. know, depression is uh, is tricky. Like, sometimes it's just it's a chemical thing. Um, but there yeah. are always things that you can do to work through. And I feel like 
weed can help you get there, but it's never going to be the thing to get you through it. Does that make sense? Like at some right. point you need, you're going to need to address um, the emotions and the baggage in your life that is weighing you down. And I think that's important for a lot of people to remember. And so I think like, <clears throat> I can only speak from my relationship with my friends. Um, and a lot of people, you know, say all the time, oh, you know, weed isn't addictive, this and that, but uh, physically, maybe so, but I, I've seen a lot of people addicted to it emotionally and mentally because they become so dependent on it that they use that as their release. Yeah, when right. in fact, it's all it's doing, uh, or it's not ever having that moment where they're actually piercing what it is that they're feeling. They're just finding a way to mask it. Sure. Um, and so I'm not saying that's it for everybody. Um, and I do think it could be a really helpful thing. Um, yeah, that's what I meant it, by... It has to be uh, a tool. It can't be the remedy. That's And that's what I meant by, like, um, it not being addictive, but it can be abused. Yeah, for sure. Some people abuse Anything it because they, be they're just running yeah. from whatever they're dealing with through weed and stuff like that, mm -hmm. through marijuana or whatnot. We, I don't, we just... I, the word weed has been ruined um, after hearing... Uh, uh, what's his name on SportsCenter say it? Oh, Stephen A. Yeah, <laughs> I, can't, yeah I can't say it and not hear his voice. <laughs> and so it's, but then I sound bougie as fuck saying marijuana. <laughs> um, uh, so we got a question, uh, Jim and I want to ask: How do you? What do you do when you burnt out? Well, no, I'm gonna read it. So yeah, so what do you do when you start to feel like a little burnt out? Hold on, before you answer. Cause she ain't asked me, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Mm -hmm. I, Daniel Caesar, NERD, a little bit of Michael Jackson, definitely some Kanye. Okay. Throw it in a pot, stir it up, turn the music all the way up. That shit re energizes me. I'll be like, I put on a whole concert at the crib. Right. Maybe okay. take a good nap after that. Yeah. I'm recharged. What about you? What do you do when you usually burns out? I do a lot of things. I, I mean, similar to what I was saying earlier about like finding a way through depression um, and that process not necessarily being about the big things, but mm -hmm. about a kind of an amalgam of the little things. I feel like keeping yourself balanced is similar. Like, I remember Courtney told, uh, said to me at one point, um, you know, we're, we're constantly trying to honor the things that we appreciate and respect about each other. Um, and then also help each other work through the things that we can both work on. Um, and one of the things that she said a long time ago um, that I really appreciated, um, is the first time I'd heard this, that she said she appreciated about me was my ability to maintain like focus. Like I could sit, at, sit and get work done all day. Um, but the way that I'm able to do that is while I'm eating lunch or, you know, I take a 15 minute break and watch a couple of videos on YouTube, watch a funny like Conan interview or something, you know, or something that, or a music video or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, if I need a nap and I get tired, I take a nap for 20 minutes, you know, maybe I brew some coffee, I wake up, I have some coffee, whatever. In the morning, I take my dog out on a walk, just getting outside helps me clear my head, you know, so it's like, it's all these little things that I do, but really what it comes down to is me just honoring my body and my mind and saying, Right now, you are not productive. And if you're forcing yourself to be productive, um, then the content is just not going to be good. Whether that's right. I'm writing, whether I'm curating, whether I'm communicating, you know, and I can just feel when that happens. And so I've just gotten really adept at trying to be one with my body as much as I can and with my mind and just listening to what 
what those things are telling me I need, I, you know, I need, if, even if that's just a break, some food, whatever. Like, sometimes I need, I just need a change of pace. I'll just go make, like, some toast or something. Like, right, yeah, I might not even be up. hungry. I just need to switch it up, you know, that's for, like, actually, a second. I've and so it's, like, that, all these little moments. I've heard that from a couple of different people, like, yeah. Tim Ferriss, uh, what's that dude, School of Greatness dude, a couple other people, and even some, like, pro- productivity articles right. and stuff, right. like, you like you doing it with your life, but yeah. like they say, like when you working on a task, a really big task, yeah. taking like those two five minute micro breaks, right, keeps you productive and in the game longer to complete that task yeah. and stuff like that. So that's a, yeah. actually a proven method for sure. <laughs> well, and I would just, I would say that there, I mean there are obviously some bigger things like mm. writing for me is a bigger right. form of release. Um, taking a walk, you know, like there there's some bigger things that I lean on a lot. Um, Honestly, if I really need to recalibrate, I just do nothing because I'm constantly doing something. So I don't know if, do if I if I want to do if I want to like just allow myself to the heal sitting for a on little the bit, couch and like, watching an unnecessary amount of anime. Yeah. Equate as nothing. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, that's, okay. that's what I'm saying. I, like I, I can do nothing. Either. A lot of a lot of people when they want to, you know, do nothing. And this depends on who you are. I'm very introverted. So I okay. recognize that this comes with take this with a grain of salt from somebody who is very, very introverted. But for me, if I need like a complete reprieve, I've been I've, I've been sitting on emails. I've been in phone calls and meetings all week. I'm, I don't want to talk to nobody. I don't want to do nothing. So if I really want to take a break and like that's where I am and I need to recalibrate in that way. Then I will sit on the couch and I will watch a movie or mm. I will read or I will sometimes I don't even want to read because that takes energy too. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's emotional energy and I just don't I don't want to yeah. deal with I want to I want to kill brain cells. I don't want right. to try to earn more. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, and so sometimes it's that simple. Um, but uh, but yeah, for me, for the march, for the most part, it is about uh, kind of the little moments. What I will say, though, is that. I'm also very fortunate to be living the life that I I created for myself that is driven and fueled ex- purely by passion. It's easy for me to be able to take those little moments to go make a piece of toast or some tea or go take a walk or whatever, uh, watch a quick YouTube video or a bunch of long YouTube videos. <laughs> no, I because I'm I'm on my own timeline. Like yes, I have some client deadlines, but those are clients that I picked up. I determined the terms. I did you know like. At the end of the day, I'm doing my work uh, as That's driven by me and my partners, obviously. But it's stuff that matters to me. It's stuff that I'm passionate about. And so it's also easy for me to be willing to burn myself out a little bit mm. and to be able to take the breaks because I've created that space for myself. And so I also recognize that some people don't have that luxury. Mm. And so uh, even still, though, I would find ways to, like, even if you're working a 9 to 5 or whatever, find little ways throughout your day to just um, to just take a break. Here's an example. When I worked in the architecture firm in Minneapolis, man, one of the reasons I left was because of how much people were working. Like, I was right. already working. I was an intern. Right. I was making pretty good money, uh, but I was an intern, and I was working 50, 60 hours minimum a week. Like, it was, I was burning out right. as an intern. And it was only going to get worse and worse and worse the, you know, the more seasoned I got there. And I remember we were given an hour for lunch every day. Like, that's mm-hmm. what they gave us for lunch. And I was like, cool. I took my full hour every day. Like, away from my computer. I didn't care how much work I had. I didn't care wasn't. how far I was behind. I took my lunch break. They had a magazine wall down by the kitchen. I would pick up a magazine. I would read an article. I would go down to the park. 
and I would eat my lunch and I would just I would take my time. And, you know, people would come down, they'd eat their lunch quick in five minutes or they'd just come down to heat it up and go right back up to the desks. Most people took five, 10 minutes and they looked at me like I was lazy. You know, some of that might be just me being the only black kid in the whole building with right, like 300 people. Like I was the only black dude in the joint. But yeah. so that might have been some of it. Um, but I think a lot of it was me being this young kid, like sitting down, eating a full meal, which to them felt like excessive and long. But I'm like, no. I've been through way too much emotionally. I've been through depression. Right. Like, if it was too long, they wouldn't have gave I've us had an near hour. suicide experiences. Like, I need this for myself. If right. you're giving me an hour, I'm going to take every last second of those 60 minutes. Because yeah. you're giving it to me. You're, I'm, I'm paid for this hour. I'm not going to sit down and do extra work for you. Mm -hmm. You know, you're already, I'm already giving you 70 hours of my week. 70 hours as a recent graduate doing something I don't even really care about. Right. Like, I care about architecture. I don't care about the windows on the 97th floor of this building over in China. Like, that has nothing to do with me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not working on something I care about. So so for me, that like that's an example of little moments. Like, don't right. let anybody dictate how you use your time as long as that time is something that, you know, you have autonomy over. You know, yeah. claim the time that's yours and, and make the best of it. And if you feel like you can't, um, then, you know, consider shifting your schedule or your life so that you have more freedom to to live the life that you want to live and i'll say that by saying i've never had a lot of money right you know a lot of people hear my story and they assume that i have money right like, family of five nineteen thousand dollars growing up like we well below the poverty line right know? and that was in a it was in an affluent area so i benefited from like education stuff like that i think i talked about that in the last episode Most um but as a family, like, you know, scrounging, literally scrounging change from the couch to figure out if we can scrounge our $5 to go get a subway foot long and then cut it between me and my sisters to share on a Sunday afternoon. Like, that's, that's what we had, you know. Right. Figuring out how, if we can buy some milk and cereal or whatever. Like, those are, the, those are the realities. And that's so um, if I can do it, then, you know, certainly other people can as well. Um, yeah. I had a lot of privileges as well. But, um, but we all have challenges. And, like, at some point, um, another another like out how to move forward you know another like um i feel like overlooked way to take those kind of small breaks at work yeah taking the shit at work oh for sure that works and you don't even actually have to shit in the toilet just go it clean it out yeah sit on it you know what i'm saying yeah. and watch a couple youtube videos yeah. chill bro ain't nobody expecting you to pop up off that you come up out of the bathroom in like 10 15 minutes right I stay taking shits at work. Imaginary shits, real shits, some shits, whole shits. Like, That's just real. go, just chill out, do what I need to do, answer some, j even like, for me, a lot of times, like, break is just, like you said, a change of pace, changing tasks. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that, that stimulates me and stuff. Like, I don't necessarily have to do nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, like I guess outside of, like, the moments I get to sit down and watch TV, Every other part of my life is about movement. And sometimes right. I just got to, like, stop moving in that direction and go over here and do something. But, man. And sometimes, you, I mean, like you, you said. you working a nine to five. Yeah. Like, if you listen to this right now at work and you're sitting at the computer screen yeah. doing the same thing for the last 20 minutes, get up right now and go take a shit. <laughs> and, I mean, you <laughs> mentioned music earlier. That's a big one for me, too. I mean, in terms of, like, shifting energy. I literally shift. I, st I still do Pandora. I feel like I'm one of the only people in the world. But. Um, <laughs> you keeping them alive, they bro. both not just so you know um, but it just I don't know I, I guess I never really got into Spotify but um, 
Uh, I'm kind of mad I'm not into Spotify. And I don't like looking. Th- I don't like looking through play. I'm not a DJ, so like I don't like looking through playlists. I don't like. I want someone else to decide for me, right? So I just that's why I turn on Pandora and I just pick artists that I like and then I can thumbs up down. I just know, want that down. like end of the year recap shit. Yeah, like, you know, title don't do that. Yeah, but I can't get my money in Spotify. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. Um, but so what I do is like in the morning I listen to very different. Like if I really need to focus. Uh, which is what I do for writing. Like I can't, a lot of people can write and they can listen to whatever. If I know the words, if it's got a rhythm, if it's got like, I can't, I can't <laughs> listen to it and write, you know, unless I'm doing like math or something that has no words in it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, it's not even like algebra. Like I can't, anything with like letters, I'm like, no. So that's when I do like classical stuff like that. I love classical. I've, I've grown. I know it's an acquired taste. It is. It was one of those things where I was like, you know, a lot of people are like, I love everything except for classical and country. You know, mm-hmm. that was me growing up. Now it's basically only country. But I, I, I mess with some country, too. Chris Stapleton can sing his butt <laughs> out. Um, anyway, um, I'll do that like in the morning when I really need to focus, draft some right. emails, whatever. When it comes time when I can, like, okay, I've got the work out of the way. Let me just do some design stuff. I put on, you know, hip-hop. I just vibe out. When I get tired, I shift to, like, R&B. Because I need something I can really, like, I need mm-hmm. something, I need energy to push me through. So I need to be right. to groove to something like Anthony Hamilton, Boys to Men, Brian McKnight. <laughs> like, I'll do the 90s to 2000s, like that era. Um, you know, like the classics. I'll just, I'll put that station on yep. and that'll get me through. I mean, that's what, if you see me doing work, like if you're pe- peering through my window or something, you see me doing work at 1 o'clock in the morning, t- mm-hmm. like midnight, anytime after 10 I'm listening to R&B. That's the only reason I'm able to be up without falling asleep. So, like, that's another example of, like, a small shift, just honoring the energy and being Mm -hmm. like, yo, I need to switch up something or I'm not going to get through this, you know, this moment, this design, this project, this whatever. Yeah. yeah. My classical is my replacement for classical because instrumental music helps. Yeah, It definitely helps. But my replacement for classical is uh, lo-fi. Okay. Lo-fi hip-hop, man. Just put on Lo-fi's really good. good. It comes up on classical sometimes, actually. Man, Lo-fi is good. I like I natural good. sounds too. Sometimes I do, like if you go to YouTube, you'll find a lot of like, um, like sonic wave meditation type music, and there'll be like seven hour songs. I tried to you know? do that this past Sunday. Like that stuff. It, it did not work. For sometimes me. I like, was annoyed. Sometimes you like, could do yes. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. It depends on you have to find the right one for sure. Yeah. And some people can't do it, but I like to do. Um, I was like, I can't like get rainfall sometimes. I like to do like fire crackling, like fireplace crackling, you know, like Word. any kind of like white noise that I can create. Mm. Some of those things help too. I used to do that when I was doing homework. I used yeah. to have the TV on, but it'd be turned down. Right. But it's, yeah. it noise fills the room. Yep. And I way I could like focus yeah. on whatever I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, anyway, I, I mean, it. tangent, but those are all the little things that I pay attention to on a daily basis and they help me a lot. Uh, in addition to like the larger existential things like, you know, making sure I'm getting music in my life, making sure I'm getting runs and activity in my life, making sure I'm playing basketball when I can, seeing friends, you know, um, all which I'm pretty bad at maintaining, but <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> I know. Hey, let me ask you, matter of fact, let me ask you about that. Uh, I was talking to somebody some time ago about how awkward it is as a grown man to make new Especially male friends. Mm. It's really easy for me to make new female friends. But then that get kind of tricky and stuff like that. But, like, if you so... It's so awkward. Not difficult. I want to say awkward to make new male friends. Why do you find... Matter of fact, let me ask you. 
is it awkward for you to make new male friends at this age? Um, for me, it is. It's kind of like a yes and no for me. Like, uh, and for when me, when I say friends, like I'm not like, oh, nigga, I know you. I've been right. around you a lot lately and stuff like right. that. You funny, you cool. I right. don't mind talking to you when I'm around you. Right. But like legitimate friendships. No, I feel, I mean I. I think yes, um, but I don't know if awkward is the right. I think I just, it's not what I'm looking for at this point in my life. And mm -hmm. I think some of that is age. Some of that is age probably at the intersection of being, you know, um, uh, like being male and defining or um, identifying as a man. But I think some of it also is um, honestly where I am in my relationship, like where I am in my life in terms of entrepreneurship and business. Like I'm just on a different wave right now. And there's a couple people that like I'm, there's maybe three people. Eh. I would say there's one one person that is a man that I am like very close to right mm -hmm. now in terms of like actively kind of talking to. Right. Um, if they're in town, I'm seeing them, whatever. Um, there are a couple people that are that way because I've been friends with them for a minute, like friends that I've had since high school right, through course, college course, and like the, I mean they're just brothers at this point I don't even think of them as friends like they're just right. family uh, but in terms of like friendship there's like one person that I would feel like I'm pretty close to and can talk to about like anything um, beyond and then there's a couple women in my life who I have similar relationships with in terms of like they're kind of almost sisters at this point they're like their right. family but yeah like friendship isn't Courtney's my best friend like that's small straight up you know a lot of people think that's probably corny i don't Nah, i, I think it's care. important like, that's just where i am right like that's where i am in my life like she's the person i'm building with if i'm if i'm in a room full of all my best friends and i gotta decide what am i what i'm doing for the rest of the day unless it's like something super recreational to just like get away from things like play basketball or something like if it's like kicking it planning things whatever uh i'm gonna pick courtney like 99 percent of the time that's and weird. and that's not just because it's like you know loyalty 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 like that's no like that's my that's my best friend right now that's yeah. the person who knows me that's the person nah, who knows what i've been through that you know love the woman that they yeah. with but they wouldn't choose them if they had a choice for sure they just hang out no with. for sure like that's the person i want to hang out with like and and i think some of that is also about i mean both in terms of relationships and in friendships in terms of like love language you know like mm -hmm. i'm uh if i if i did like my love languages test like physical touch is important to me mm -hmm. which isn't about like physical touch doesn't mean like hugging or right. sex or anything like those things necessarily. It means like just being around somebody. It means right. being in their presence, like honoring that space and just being with somebody without the distractions of being with anybody, having to be with like anybody quality else. Time. Quality time, that's part of it as well. Okay. But physical touch doesn't have to be just touch, right? Physical okay. touch can also be, um, can also just be um, like the, the proximity to somebody Whereas quality time is like time spent and all that type of stuff. But quality, I think, actually, I think you're right. Quality time is, is a big part of that. But, yeah, uh, but both, of those me, are, both of those are at the top for me. For and, me, that's that's mad important. Yeah. Like uh, like uh, when it comes down to relationships with with with, my, with a girl or woman, I mean, um, spending time yeah. with her. Yeah. And when I say quality time, like, like let's have fun like let's enjoy each other's company right. and stuff like that i mean everybody gets to dispatch here and there but that shouldn't be the norm you know what i'm saying yeah. so like i definitely enjoy like that's probably my love language and if, if laughter yep was the love language 
that would definitely be mine. Like I, it having a girlfriend that doesn't find you funny is like the worst thing in the world. Well, for me, yeah, no, humor is important. Stresses sure. me to fuck out. Um, I, I, whether or not people think humor is important, like it's important. Like mm. hu- humor's and laughter is statistically proven to like. Exp- like she like don't have to be funny. Life, you know? I'm perfectly yeah. fine with her not being funny. But you gotta be able to laugh. But you yeah. gotta be able to yeah. find me funny. <laughs> right. Um, no, I feel that. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like quality time is really important. Um, like my energy will shift with it. Yeah. Like if I if I'm feeling detached, like if Courtney feels like I'm detached. It's probably because we've been so busy that we haven't spent much time around each other for the last two or three days. Mm-hmm. And like, in order for that really to change, like, we just got to be around each other for two days. Like, let's just spend a day on the couch or taking a walk or doing whatever, going shopping together, whatever we got to do. Let's do it together. Right. And you'll see my energy shift, like mm-hmm. relationally. You know, like I'm very, I'm very fluid in that way. Like I got to go with what's going on, um, and I will adapt to that setting. But that means that I'm gonna become more. I'm gonna become my more introverted self when right. I'm detached from everybody, and I'm gonna become my more extroverted self um, when I'm able to spend more time with them. You know, uh, but then there there are times where like with friends, I've I've had I've met some people in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. and um, and I've I've like felt I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I felt bad because like I'm like I'm not. I mean, you know, like oh you're a good new friend or like, that's my new, you know, best friend. Stuff like that. I'm like, I'm really, I know it's just a joke, but I'm really not trying to have a new friend right now. Like, it's just not, <laughs> it's just not a focus of mine, you know? Well, and there's a difference between, there's a difference, like to your point about like, there's a difference between uh, like everybody, all the Gumbo Fit crew, like the whole Gumbo fam, like those people are my, like, that's my family. Like I've grown to appreciate and love you all. You all are my friends because we do something that we love together. Right. And we're learning more about each other every single week. And like, I appreciate that. Um, and we will occasionally like see each other and hang out outside of what we're doing. And we're trying to, you know, build as much of that as possible. But there's a difference between that and then just like, just calling somebody up to go kick it. Like, I don't, I can't, it's probably been, except for like, again, people that I've known since high school, college, and I'm like back in Minneapolis, and so we're finding we're finding we're creating space yeah. for each other because we haven't seen each other in two years. But beyond that, I can't tell you the last time I just kicked it with a friend. Right. It's probably been since like the first year after college, or something like that. Wow. Like it's been a long time. It's been like five That's or right. six years. Because I, I when when like I, I don't, just don't get kick a chance anymore. to kick like, it with, because I have two really my best friends. Is, yeah. Uh, uh, Mike and yeah. Q, like yeah, and I, I like, and yeah, I met him both, and I love that kicking with yeah. them. Like I'd be like pressed, I'd be like, damn, I got to get over. And part of me is envious of that, but like at the same time, I'm I'm also just like honoring how I feel. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like where I am naturally right now, that just isn't it doesn't come naturally for me. Mm-hmm. I so what that's why I said yes and no because it's not awkward for me to meet people and to find friends and like, but it's just not what I want. Like, right. it's not that I don't want to meet people, but I just don't have the energy to, like, no. put into new friendships in a way where we're going to kick it. Yeah. Uh, I get, and I, I think that's it. because, I think that's less about me being this age and being a man and more about me being in a partnership that I, like, still really love, you know, mm-hmm. always will, I'm sure. Um, but, that, like, I, it's it's my everything. Um, right. On top of just, I'm, I'm grinding, bro. Like, <laughs> I don't have time for nothing except if it's not you know, this future plan. Um, right. 
because I'm like, I've never had more energy. I've never been more invigorated. I've never been happier. I've never right. been like more emotionally stable, more physically stable now after all this marathon training. Like if, if I'm not putting in the work now, right. I'm taking, I'm wasting my time. Exactly. Like, this is the time for me to be building, you know, exerting myself, having long nights. Cause I'm not gonna, I'm not always gonna have this energy. I'm not always gonna be healthy. I may not be here tomorrow. I don't know. Exactly. You know, I'm a, I'm a work as much as I can now while I can, knowing that I'm building towards something. I'm building for myself a life of freedom Man, where eventually I don't funny. have to I do anything. A, I'm cut you off. I had a super, uh, I had a super similar conversation with myself yesterday riding my mm -hmm. bike, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, um, I love that you said with yourself. Yeah, I did. I love like, that. It's for real. <laughs> you, just, you just biking, talking to yourself? Man, bro. That's <laughs> real. I, uh, so, uh, so as far as my professional life right now, um, I, I do have kids. So I, I have to figure out a way to make money. Oh, for you sure. You know what I'm for saying? Sure. Like, yeah. uh, I can't be a starving artist. So I can't just wait yeah. for the money to roll in. I have to actively go get it. Yep. Go get it. So uh, what I've decided to do is reinstate my real estate license and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's it's, it's a gamble. It's a risk. It's, it takes a lot of work and stuff, probably more or as much as what I have to put into developing this podcast, this show. Um, but I kind of ran into a hiccup recently. I thought, you know, I would be in a real estate office, but I guess the old office that I was in a couple mm -hmm. years ago didn't do their paperwork right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm still affiliated with them mm -hmm. and they're shut down. So I can't just call them like, yo, make this right. They're not even in business anymore. But the state still recognizes me as being under that brokerage. Mm. So the office, the new office I'm going in, they can't affiliate with me. So I can't work with them. I can't get no passwords. I can't get access to MLS, nothing. I can't do no business. And to like, and because of this, the state hasn't added this to their online site. And so I have to physically send paperwork down to, uh, what's, what's our capital? Springfield. Mm -hmm. And wait for them to get back to me and ask holidays. So this could take a couple weeks, a few months. And so now what I was planning on using to generate income, you know, is super delayed. Right. And so, you know, now I'm doing like uh, food deliveries mm -hmm. to like compensate till I find another avenue. Right, right. And so I decided to get on my bike and stuff like that instead of riding around in my car, putting hella miles on my car and stuff like that, which has been actually really fun. But uh, I had that moment, I had that conversation. I had to just talk to myself like, yo, like. Cause like I think I I think you was here. I told I don't know if you was here. No, I think I told Courtney, um, um, last time I hung out at y'all spot. Mm -hmm. You know, that I kind of didn't want to do this kind of stuff. From a from a it was from a prideful place. Mm -hmm. I don't want to meet no girl or, or no guy who I feel like is doing better than me. And they be like, oh, so what you doing? I'm like, Uber food deliveries mm -hmm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like it sound kind of weak. But I was like, I was riding. I was just thinking to myself. I was like, bro, you 30 years old. You can literally ride this bike for eight hours a day and generate some money. Mm -hmm. When else are you gonna be able to do this? Right. You can sit at home and try to figure something else out and look up and be five years later. Mm -hmm. You thirty five, them nigga, them knees ain't gonna work like they are right now. Thanks. You know what I'm saying? Body changing every year. I ain't even the same man I was when I was running a marathon at twenty nine. Yeah. You know, so I was just like. You know, I just felt blessed, and I was just like, bro, keep going, keep working, you know, don't give up, and just whatever it is that your mind and body can do right now, do it. Yeah. You know, right now I'm in a place where it's just like work. Just run this shit raggedy. 
mm-hmm. you know, until it arms, legs, everything start falling off. Take care of yourself. Like you say, respect your body. I'm learning how to do that because that's one thing yeah. I don't do. I don't take time for in and stuff like that. I don't do... I, I didn't get introduced to the idea of recovery until I started running. Because mm-hmm. when you train, you when you hit those high miles, you got to do something to your muscles, mm-hmm. heal your muscles intentionally. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think uh, one of the things we've been talking about this whole time is like you have to recover your mind. Yep your soul and everything and uh i'm trying to find places for that but like i said just having that convers having that same conversation with myself i was riding yesterday man it, it really motivated me because yesterday was a really hard day um out there grinding but it was like this is the moment yeah. where you got to put your all into it for sure and stuff like that sure that recovery piece is real too though because i i remember i had a moment um, I was reminded of this like a year ago. Um, I'll probably push it out of my mind, but there was a moment where, um, I mean, I talked about at the top of the episode how, you know, I struggle with a lot of depression and mental health stuff. By the time I was like through halfway through college, I was kind of working my way out of that finally. Right. Um, and the way I did that was I just, again, little things. Like I did as many little things as I could to bring joy like mm-hmm. i try to pay attention to what are the things that make me happy and i thought about okay i didn't have any stomach pains over the summer when i was just like you know out in this rural village in ghana and just right. engaging with the community and and working with the kids and all that type of stuff i'm like let me do as much of that as i can so i started joining like every community service organization on campus right and that was my freshman year by senior year or by sophomore year one year later i had i was in leadership on in like four of those organizations Right. So I was already a, like a leader in several different communities on campus, and I had started my own nonprofit the year before as well. Right. So I was a sophomore on campus, leader in four organizations, had my own organization, like nonprofit outside of school, right. trying to do all this stuff. Um, and then I joined the acapella group to sing. Word. Yeah. <laughs> and then I joined the gospel choir. Um, and so I was like, I had so many things that I was doing, um, and I got a job as uh, a, a mentor for men of color. Mm-hmm. And I got, even though I needed mentorship myself, I got mm-hmm. a job as uh, a graphic designer for the mm-hmm. university. Both of those are university jobs, and they mm-hmm. maxed out the number of hours I could legally work at the university, and I still couldn't pay my bills. Wow. And so I would, the reason I did all these organizations was one, it made me happy, but two, I was taking my mind off everything else. And third, it was practical. Like they hosted lunches and dinners and stuff. So I would just, I would hop around school knowing that I was a part of all these things and I could go come get a plate and go. <laughs> Cause you know, if I didn't eat, I would just go to the offices, take some candy out of the candy bowl, snack on that for dinner. Like it was terrible. Right. Uh, I would, before I went to school, I would drink like four glasses of water cause I had nothing at home right. and it would make my stomach hurt cause it was way too much water so right. early. But um, the pain felt better than the hunger. Of you know course, what I mean? So course. like little things like that I would do. Right. Um, and I was doing all that to, I think, to avoid the depression that I was feeling because I was feeling better and better. But at the same time, I was killing my body. Like I was working so hard. I mean, to your point, like work while you can, um, but definitely take care of yourself. Right. Like I was working Mm. so hard that I wasn't even taking care of myself. And I remember there was one, this was spring, uh, it would have been 2010, no spring, 2011, Sophomore year, uh, it was a Saturday, and I had I'd had like the busy, two of the busiest weeks of my life, like mm-hmm. leadership conferences, events, 
stuff that I was organizing, stuff that I was leading, stuff that I was just attending, whatever happened around, trying to figure out bills and money and working two jobs, all this stuff. Not to mention school on top of all this. Oh, well, all of uh, so two of the busiest weeks of my life. Had an incredibly busy Saturday, and I had like a program all day. It was like a massive fundraiser. And I went home, and I was so tired. Uh, I hadn't seen my roommates in like, <laughs> it felt like weeks or days. And they were like, oh, good to see you. My room was right off the kitchen. And they were all sitting at the kitchen, like, enjoying dinner, like, talking to each other. And they were like, good to see you. And I'm like, sorry, y'all, I need a nap. So I went and took a nap. It was like 6 p.m. It was just getting dark out. So fell asleep. Um, woke up. I thought it was, uh, it was dark. It was, like, the same color out. It was, like, mm -hmm. kind of where it's, like, it's, like, getting dark um, or getting light. So I thought it was the next morning. And because mm -hmm. I, I looked at my clock, it was, like, 6 something again. So I thought I'd slept. 12 hours and I'm like dang I must have been really tired um, I walk out of the kit I walk out into the kitchen my roommates are there eating dinner again I'm like hold up did I sleep a few minutes like I'm so confused what happened bro I slept 24 hours my body gave up damn they had been knocking on my door um, and they were like we thought you left we thought you like took a nap and then they had because all their rooms were upstairs so they were upstairs. They thought I had taken a nap, woken up a couple hours later, gone up, nothing. gone up, whatever. 24 hours. I slept for 24 straight hours. I didn't wake up to them banging on the door, and I had a lock from the inside, so I locked it. Um, I didn't wake up to them banging on the door. I didn't wake up to nothing. Um, and, I mean, I remember it scared the shit out of me. Damn. Bro, I slept for 24 hours, and I didn't wake up. And that's a long time to sleep. Like, yeah. and um, And it was just because I drilled myself so far down that my body was like no if you're taking a nap i'm gonna knock you out you're gonna be out cold <laughs> until i'm ready I to get you. back up because i need this beauty sleep and um and i woke up and it was sunday and i had a rehearsal at 7 30 on sunday so i woke up when i realized what happened i ate dinner i got dressed and i went out and did the same thing right. you know for the next couple yeah, weeks right. but i'm and that moment never left me that was the first moment where i was like i have worked myself into submission like my body Man, cannot do anything crazy. else and it gave up on me that's and crazy. that's when i realized like yo if you don't take care of your body it will give up on you yeah. either you'll get sick um you know something will happen um but something will give up on you if you don't take care of yourself and so that was a that was a lesson to me and so ever since then i haven't always been great at it in fact i've always been pretty bad at it uh, but ever since then i've been doing my best to at least listen to what my body's telling me and mm. if i can't do it for a day or two i get it like it happens but at some point, I need to create some space, even if it's just 30 minutes or an hour, take a nap or whatever, to make sure that I can recalibrate. So, right. um, but yeah, that was a that was a crazy, crazy let's 24 say, hours. Let's uh, we gonna we gonna switch topics real quick. Go for it. I'm gonna uh, ask you a, a quick question, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I, this episode is gonna come after the one with Courtney and Paige yeah. on it, and she was telling me that you are a uh, uh, you know more about basketball than she does. Oh, for sure. And so I asked She's a not question. She's the basketball head at all. Yeah, I asked a question to them, and uh, I guess I found out after the session I asked it completely wrong, okay. right? And it was about the WNBA. Okay. The way that I asked them was, how do you make the WNBA more interesting? Okay. Because to me, it's not. And I feel like to a lot of people, it's not because they don't have a big viewership. And so uh, I don't know what the proper way is to ask that question. Um, I guess the question may sound better if I'm asking, what could the WNBA do to attract more viewers? 
And I guess that's the question I'm posing to you right now. Like, what do you think the NBA, the WNBA could do? Because I, I feel like the reason I asked them was because I feel like, you know, they're both women in sport right now. But I feel like women is women are, like, killing the game right now. Like, like so much of the attention and focus is on them. Why is it that a league full of dope, players, dope women, beautiful women. Like, you can attack the WNBA from so many different standpoints, whether it's uh, physicality as far as them being attractive and looking good, sexualizing them, or or even just from the sense of how excellent the players they are and stuff like that. Like, why isn't the WNBA popping the way it should be? Because I know they want to make more money. I mean, I think it's a... I think it's a big question with a lot of potential answers because they was, um, they, they was like definitely not like a professional on this but no i mean i would say in terms of why is it not more interesting or why do people not find it more interesting i think a lot of that is uh just to keep it a buck i think it goes i think it goes to the way we prioritize and structure basically capitalist systems like we don't put the same energy and focus on women's athletics as we do you know, uh, male athletics, at least in terms of national leagues, right? In terms of mm-hmm. Olympics, women are killing it and we're watching that. Like, I'm watching Simone Biles, one of the great, she's a GOAT in the making, you know? Serena right. Williams, already a GOAT. She might be the greatest athlete of all time, period. Um, like, there are so many amazing athletes that are women that, that we like to watch, but specifically national leagues where it's about team sports, they haven't gotten the same marketing dollars they haven't gotten the same energy they haven't gotten the same you know momentum uh they're also a much younger league that's one thing to keep in mind i mean nba has been what since the 40s 50s um wnba is only they just passed 20 years old like they're right. they're a baby league so there's a lot of work still to do uh in terms of figuring out what attracts people what i will say though is that there is a very committed following there um yeah. i remember being in high school bro our our men's team was whack i didn't even I mean, I went to some of the games. The I was Bucks, probably better because I didn't right. make the team. But um, I went to some of the games. But like, it was it was decent. But like, the women were so much. High I'm team? talking about my high school. Okay. Team. Um, the the women's games were so much more fun for me to watch. Like, I enjoyed them. They were killing it, um, and um, they were just more entertaining. They were better balanced. They were like there was more to to watch. And frankly, they were like craftier. It wasn't people showing off. It was people playing like a team sport and like you know. There was a lot more kind of camaraderie through it, all that type of stuff. I feel like a lot of the same things are true for the WNBA, uh, but just we don't put enough attention on it, I think. Um, and I, I think it's tough, right? Because a lot of people in terms of, uh, in terms of capital, when it becomes a capital conversation and a monetary conversation, it's kind of a chicken and the egg type of thing. Because a lot of people are like, okay, well, uh, the NBA players get paid so much, you know, James Harden, Steph Curry, whatever, they're able to make almost $40 million a year, right. you know, because they're single-handedly bringing all these eyeballs to the NBA, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, they generate so um, They're generating income, exactly. But they're also generating it because the product that the NBA has been putting out there in terms of marketing, storytelling, brand, has also been really, really strong. It hasn't been that strong for the WNBA yet. Um, and that's so, not that's so, not okay. the athlete's fault. So that's... I, re- I remember when they were putting dollars behind the WNBA as far as marketing goes and stuff like that when they were still a pretty young league and yeah, stuff and like, like that. the first and 10 years. Yeah, and they, they was pushing it heavy and mm-hmm. stuff like that. What I proposed to them, right, my solution was to change the gameplay, make some alterations to the gameplay and stuff like that because at the end of the day, 
this isn't high school basketball, okay? Like, this is national basketball. Um, and it has to, even though, okay, we want to be careful uh, for optics purposes, misogyny, all of that stuff to not compare uh, the WNBA to the NBA. But you're, you're, they are competing on that national stage for those exact same audiences and stuff like that. And really, the WNBA... I don't see it being marketed to women as being marketed to men. Sports and as a general is being marketed to men. So my thing was changing the gameplay. You know, I told them like just drop the whole drop the rim a little bit. And this is not my idea. This is not my original idea. I heard this from somebody else. And I agree with it. I heard it from another podcast, uh sports podcast, and I agree with it. Drop that rim down a little bit. Three feet. Start getting them girls up there jump uh, start getting those women up there dunking on. Like, just seeing them boom baskets would be, like, crazy. Like, I would definitely tune in to watch them, like, just smash dunks on it and stuff like that. Like, that that would be crazy and stuff like that. Because I just feel like even if it was a bunch of who, okay, from what I understand from in the games that I've watched as far as the NBA goes, I've... The San Antonio Spurs has never been an exciting team. And I've they win. never... They win, but they're not really fun to watch and stuff like that. It's, it's They play really good basketball. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about skill level. Mm-hmm. They pass a lot. They take really smart shots. Mm-hmm. They play very low-risk basketball and stuff like that. And that's how they're able to win. That's how they were able to win when they was on their run and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But they... Even when they was on a run, they wasn't still getting a whole lot of the national like slots as far mm-hmm. as what games to watch because you didn't necessarily want to watch them into the finals because you knew they was going to win. And everybody on TV, everybody in the finals is on TV in the finals. Mm-hmm. But during the regular season, like they, you wasn't always catching their games on primetime TV because it wasn't a fun game to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think... I mean, a couple things, because you mentioned a lot. In terms of lowering the rims, I mean, yeah, people might be dunking more, but I'm, I'm a very systematic thinker. And uh, are the rims going to be lowered everywhere, like throughout their entire yeah, life exactly. trying to play? Because, and also, there, I mean, there's also the, the element of, you know, um, co-ed rec leagues and all this type of stuff. Like, there are so many different things where, um, I think structurally and systematically women playing on a different size level rim would, uh, would create a lot of barriers to entry for a lot of people based on the access, I mean, or just the infrastructure in terms of basketball and stuff like that. So I think that's one thing to consider. Well, I don't um, understand what you're saying. So think about, like, how many parks you go to that can't be adjusted that are 10 feet? Mm-hmm. Like, where are women going to... You know, how are they are, are they going to have the same level of equity and access to the hoops and the sizes of hoops that they need to be playing with, with if their rims are, you know, what, seven feet or eight feet or whatever? I, versus I mean, men. I understand going to like the park and you can't adjust park rims. But what if you're in a high school league, a college league or whatever league, those rims are usually movable. And then they already playing with like smaller basketballs. I mean, then. Aren't they basketball smaller than NBA? Yeah, it's, it's eight and a half versus nine and a half inches. Right. I mean, but I mean, I hear you. I'm just saying. I think that's that's one barrier for for something like that. And I think, I think, um, 
it's also depending on who you talk to. Like, it might not be interesting. It might not be as interesting to you or to a lot of. I mean, I know a lot of people feel that same way, but. Um, so they like, are. It's like, oh, oh no, let me be careful. I'm not gonna compare it into that. Like, nah, fuck it. it it's like kind of <laughs> like Trump. I Trump has his core people. WNBA has their core people, right? This conversation is on... It's a wild comparison, bro. <laughs> this conversation is on how to get people outside of that core brought in. Like, it, we already, like they make money. People come to the games. The people buy season tickets. Those people, you're not going to lose for the most part. Mm -hmm. How do you get the casual watcher to come in and watch how do you how do you get more eyes on it and stuff like that like i don't you're not gonna lose people that's already there you're just gonna get them more excited well i think one it doesn't i mean yeah they if they want to be paid more we need more we need more money in that league and so from that perspective i can see as many eyeballs as possible but not every league is for everybody is one thing i would say and i would say they shouldn't have to accommodate um they shouldn't have to accommodate like uh, a much more like they shouldn't have to be just dunking on people for the league to be worth something. Like there's a lot to be taken away from the WNBA that uh, that is just as powerful in the WNBA as it is in the NBA. Mm -hmm. And it would just be a matter of for me, it's a matter of branding. It's a matter of marketing. Like they deserve as many dollars like that. Yo, in the 60s, nobody was watching the NBA. Nobody was watching the NBA. Right. It wasn't until like Showtime Lakers Lakers, Celtics, rivalries, you know, that... When did they start they allowing dunking in the NBA? Oh, people have been dunking since since the origins, basically, since black people have been in it. <laughs> um, but, like, no, nah, for a long while, it was illegal. Like, for a long while, maybe like, they the didn't know if you could dunk. Maybe in the earliest, earliest years. But they've been dunking since before NBA was even being watchable. Uh, like, before people were even tuning in. No, it right. was, like, it was literally the shift with... There's a great 30 for 30 on this, but there's a great there was a great shift in... Like, the whole Showtime Lakers, that was more than just, like, their explosive running up and down the court. Like, no, they brought out, they rolled out red carpets, they brought out celebrities, they sat, and to the point where you still see that culture in the NBA now. Yeah. And so there was an entertainment factor, right? Right. But, again, that's that's chicken and the egg. Like, they still had to push that. They almost had to put the push the cart before the horse a little bit. They had mm -hmm. to amplify the energy that was surrounding the league in order for people to start coming out and being invested. And I feel like we still need that level of investment in the women's game. Despite whatever changes you want to talk about to the game itself, they still need that same and deserve that same level of investment to get people to buy in. Because there's plenty of reasons for people to opt in. And if we're just comparing one league to the other, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why the women's league isn't as interesting to a lot of people. Uh, and a lot of it is production value. A lot of it is like all these other things as well. Uh, some of it might be the game, but I guarantee you, I mean, there's some amazing rivalries. Like the Lynx, I'm from Minnesota. Like, the, yeah, the team we have the most win. pride in is the Lynx. Yeah. They won, like, so many championships in the last decade. It's yeah. insane. I heard they, like, they, they are, the, like, the Lakers, Celtics. Uh, yeah, the Lindsey Whalen is, like, I mean, goon, like, yeah. killing it. And um, that's, you go to Minnesota, like, that's that's the team we got pride in. Like, yeah. Vikings haven't done anything for us. Timberwolves have done nothing for us. <laughs> like, we're, we haven't been worth anything except for the WNBA, right? Right. Um, and so, uh, I mean, people would probably say uh, contrary things to in regards to like soccer and stuff, but I don't really know that world. But right. Um, but so I think, 
I think there are plenty of people who would be passionate and interested in the rivalries that are built there and the, and the relationships that are built there in like the teamwork that's built there. I mean, like you get teams, you know, like, yes, yeah. you have stars, but it's not stars running down the court dunking on each other. It's like we got to work together to be able to, you know, um, to put the best off. product out there and, and like be. Yeah, exactly. To, to reach the highest levels. And I think there's something really uh, beautiful about that that would warrant eyes from a lot of people if we were willing to i mean i don't i don't even know where to go turn on the station to find the wnba playing yeah I don't, that's I don't part of the problem tv that's part of the problem it's like there needs to be that level of investment put in but people aren't willing to put in that investment until it's proven that they can earn money right but sometimes sometimes the investment needs to come before the earnings Okay. And with the WNBA, I think they're in that trap where they it's need, like... I, I, this would be a good time for them to try it again. Yeah, me. for sure. For this sure. I mean, they're like more established. Perfect. Time um, they're more again. established. The league has gotten more athletic, just like the w, uh, just like the NBA. The NBA has gotten more and more athletic. Like, yeah. They're talking about adding a four-point line. They're talking about doing all these things because the league is changing, right? right. It's become more fast-paced. It's faster. The and, that, and that was my conversation. It's just that I'm not asking... For something different from the WNBA, yeah. I'm asking for the same things. You know, just a, a development in the gameplay and stuff like that. Um, I feel like more, like everything is getting faster between not just basketball, football. Yep. Football players are getting smaller and everything is happening faster and stuff like that. Next thing you're going to look up, NFL is going to be almost as quick as college football and stuff like that because college football is intense mm -hmm. it's moving quickly you know uh I, everything is speeding up and stuff like that and um in my opinion i feel like they could benefit from that what you're saying is not wrong either at all there needs to be some more there needs to be some money spent and stuff like that i um, think it's also integration more um, in terms of the I'm cultures, interested like, in a co-ed league. That would be well, and I'm not even necessarily talking about a co-ed league, but I'm talking about like there's a lot of energy around the NBA, and a lot of the NBA watches the WNBA like religiously. Like they they are fans of the game and wherever the game is put forth. And so, if there can be more space for WNBA players, part it's of the problem is people don't know WNBA players that well. They don't know who to follow. They don't unless they're commentating on TNT for the NBA for the men's league, right? So like part of it is we need more spaces where those women's voices can be seen and heard and right. and we can fall in love with their personalities and their, you know, just the way we have for, for the men's league. So I think that's part of it as well. I would also say this, I don't know enough about the WNBA to know what their leadership looks like, but the NBA is by far the most progressive league uh, in uh, all of sports. In all of sports. <laughs> I mean, the changes that they implement, the thing like the fact that there's a challenge this, the coaches challenge this year, you know, yep. that was just trialed last year. Like things move quickly. I'm amazed at for being such a large institution um, that they're not more bureaucratic and that they are so nimble. And I feel like and that's what I'm saying. Other like, leagues because the WNBA be is ran by the yeah. NBA, okay, a subsidiary, so. right? I think I don't know, Why? but I'm sure it has its own president. I'm sure it has its own, you know. I, I just they should be able to uh, to um, if 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 the NBA they use their training, figuring out all these programs, learning all these different things, you know, to kind of push that down to the WNBA in some kind of way. I my my, my whole thing is just like my thing is is not that 
I just I just could not I just can't wrap my mind around why in this in the era of women a league with a bunch of dope ass women is not purely flourishing and stuff like that. And you know, they was telling me it was cause of sexism and you know, just the fact it's women. But I feel like women are getting so much shine right now. Why is the WNBA still being ignored at this moment? And stuff like that. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree at all with the points about sexism. I think that that's an underlying factor in a lot of things uh, when it comes to the league. Um, but, I mean, if you want to get more into depth about that, we can. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think there's – there's what I'd say is there's, there's a lot of nuance with this conversation. Um, and I think I think the league deserves the same level of investment the NBA got for years, but that also deserve that also warrants more innovation in some ways, uh, whether it's league play or whether it's just um, being you know audacious enough to take certain chances. Um, you know, well, uh, the, Gumbo take on WNBA as a client. <laughs> if they reached out, sure. Yeah, it depends on what what it would be. Like, there's so there's only our limitations are limited. Like, we're we're not we're not about to like trick somebody into being a client. You know, like we right. gotta be able to offer some value. Um, well, and I don't yeah. know what value we could possibly offer them, but um, well, but, yeah. But I right, we gonna wrap it up. It was a good conversation. Yeah, I appreciate you coming through and stuff like that. Um, yeah, drop it right there. Is there anything you want to share? Is there any, anything else happening for Gumbo Gumbo Fit? Is there any upcoming anything? Stay tuned for uh, February. February. We're working on a couple projects. Yeah. We're dropping the magazine, but we're working on another project too. So. And you could Should pre-order the magazine right now. Yeah, pre-order magazine. Um, I don't think it was on sale last time we we talked about this, but magazine is now for pre-order online. It's gumbomedia.com/magazine. It's going to be uh, about a 160-page hardcover collector's item, art book type publication, print publication. You can hold it in your hands, flip through it. 75 different creatives, you know, poets, writers, um, short story people, uh, authors, um, art, comics, photography, all sorts of stuff. It's, it's about to be an amazing product, so definitely, you definitely want that. Most definitely, most definitely. Well, everybody, I appreciate y'all for stopping through, chilling with me and Matthew today. Um, don't forget um, to like subscribe whatever it is that you're supposed to do on the podcast app that you're listening to that helps get the podcast out there feel free to share it with any friends or anything like that um y'all have a smooth ass day all right i'm gonna see y'all uh what maybe next week we'll see if christmas is coming up i might take a break from y'all but i love y'all have a good one peace peace